You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your semi-daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your headspace, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews from jaysfromthecouch.com, back on a drizzly gray Thursday here in Nova Scotia to talk Blue Jays with you. It's it's apt. It's, you know, it's been that way since the season kind of ended, long before the season ended, really. But especially, like, last night when there was, like, no baseball going on. I'm not ready for it yet. I need more baseball in my life. Friday night can't get here soon enough. So I'm going to do my best to fill that gap in the baseball landscape for y'all here today. Uh, We got an interesting topic to discuss yesterday. um, Matt Schwartz from MLB Trade Rumors put up uh, their annual arbitration salary projections. We're going to go through those in the second and third segments of today's episode to discuss all the Blue Jays on there, whether or not that's an accurate uh, projection for their price and whether or not the Blue Jays will actually pay that price for that player. So decent roster on there. There's 11 Blue Jays we're going to talk about there. But before that, I wanted to start with a look at the MLB playoffs as they set up now. Obviously, without baseball today, all four series have been decided. Pretty one-sidedly, really. Two of them were sweeps. Two of them were 3-1 wins. So, I I will admit, I was not sorry to see the Yankees go. I'm sorry to all my Yankees fans that listen to this. But Boston's a better team. The Yankees had no... No pitching to carry it to that bullpen. Did not get anything from Severino. Got nothing from CC Sabatia. Masa Tanaka was really the only consistent pitcher that was there. So, I mean, it's Boston's got a better chance of knocking off Houston. So, I'm excited for that series coming up. And... Again, we there are a couple Blue Jays on the Boston team. I forgot to mention David Price on Tuesday's episode when we discussed former Blue Jays, but that's probably for the best because he was responsible for the lone loss in that series and did not look good. It's already been announced by Alex Cora that David Price is going to start Game 2 against Houston, so that'll be interesting to see how he can bounce back from that. He'll be back at home. The Boston faithful will be on high alert to see if they get regular season David Price in this one. But obviously Steve Pierce made the biggest play of the playoffs for Boston with that belly flop save on that Eduardo Nunez throw to end the threat when New York almost looked like it had the comeback against Craig Kimbrell. Loading up the bases, Kimbrell was so wild. Like that that was the thing about Boston. That was the the weakness in the armor was that bullpen, but Kimbrell was never thought to be that weakness. And just watching him struggle to throw strikes in that game was, it, it was tough to watch. And I say that as someone who's not a fan of Craig Kimbrell. I, I don't like the Spider-Man maneuver. I don't like his beard. There are a lot of things I don't like about Craig Kimbrell, but I can respect 
his ability to throw the baseball. And just watching him miss time after time again. And like you can you cannot blame Angel Hernandez for that. Hernandez actually wasn't terrible in game four, which is, you know, a meteoric rise for him. But watching Kimbrell just just repeatedly throw that one away, watching the Yankees fans celebrate Neil Walker getting hit by a pitch was kind of silly. And again, I'm glad Boston closed it out in the end because that this is the main event ticket in the American League, that Boston-Houston series to see which one of them hopefully goes on to lose in the World Series. But no, I am predicting Boston will take that one. I think they get it at home in Fenway. So I I see it ending. I think it goes a distance, actually. I think it goes seven games. I think it's a hard-fought series. I think Boston's going to be able to do some things against that Houston rotation and minimize the damage that it, that its bullpen gives up to that team. But I think Boston does prevail in the end. I know a lot of people are looking for the rematch, though, of last year's World Series, which brings us to the National League, Milwaukee against Los Angeles. Los Angeles had no problems eventually dispatching Atlanta while Milwaukee's just been waiting for a week after eliminating Colorado. And... This is going to be very interesting because it, it's a similar kind of matchup to some of the other ones we've seen so far. That is the the rotation versus bullpen matchup. And Los Angeles got great performances in, in the first couple games in Chavez Ravine from Hyunjin Ryu and Clayton Kershaw. Kind of got away from that a little bit in Atlanta, but got enough uh, offense to get the job done against a team that was a bit overmatched in its first playoff trip in five or six years. So wasn't entirely unexpected for Los Angeles to be able to take advantage of Atlanta. And that may be the thing in their favor when they go up against Milwaukee, another relatively new playoff team. Milwaukee took out a spent Colorado Rockies side and used its full pitching staff to full effect. They got multi-inning contributions from Corbin Burns, who I really, really wish Toronto was able to pry away from them for J-Hap, but it is what it is. And they were able to bring out Joaquin Soria, Jeremy Jeffress, Corey Knabel, like, like all these former closers, guys who have been in those high-leverage situations, and just use them all to full effect. And... It'll be interesting to see how the Dodgers match up with them. They were playing a lot of matchup baseball late in the series, in the season, sitting guys like Cody Bellinger against lefties, um, limiting Max Muncy's exposure. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do there. Their, their big bats are going to be needed to come through for them. They're going to need continued production from Justin Turner, who's been their playoff talisman. They're going to need Manny Machado to continue to find his power when needed. Honestly, not a lot of hits for Manny Machado in that Atlanta series, but we'll see what he can do against Milwaukee. Uh, Yasiel Puig needs to continue to be that spark plug for them. But at the same time, Milwaukee does have that that offense that can counter the Los Angeles Dodgers with guys with experience. This isn't a normal 
kind of playoff team. They have guys like Mike Moustakis and Lorenzo Cain who have won series before. Curtis Granderson, who's a 37-year-old who's seen it all. Um, Travis Shaw, who had that run with Boston. They they have guys who have been through the ringer and, and can kind of keep things on an even keel. So it'll be interesting to see if they continue to push this bullpen strategy that they've had. Like uh, Soria Knabel, Jeffress, and racist tweeter Josh Hader appeared in all three games of that Colorado series. Will they be able to keep up that kind of pace? Los Angeles knows better than anyone. If you're relying on relievers like that, eventually something will break. They used Brandon Morrow until his arm fell off last year. And at the rate Milwaukee's going to be going, if it can't get more than five innings out of its starters, like Craig Council was very good at turning games into bullpen games, something that the Yankees probably should have done, but just couldn't get anything from their starters. But with a team like Los Angeles that has a lot of depth in its offense, it's going to be interesting to see how Milwaukee attacks that Dodger lineup and what Dave Roberts can do to counteract and get matchups he wants. I think it's going to be a hard-fought series. I think the National League series will actually end quicker than the American League series, and I think Los Angeles takes it. I, I think just being able to throw Clayton Kershaw out there repeatedly is only going to benefit Los Angeles. And if they get another performance like they got from Hyunjin Ryu, if Walker Buehler has a bounce-back game, that limits the exposure of that Dodgers bullpen that isn't as great as the Milwaukee pen, but still has capable arms in there. They they were perfect outside of converted starter Alex Wood against Atlanta. So that bodes well moving forward. And if guys like Ryan Madsen and Pedro Baez can continue to be that bridge and a Kenley Jansen can continue to be the Kenley Jansen, that's that peak form instead of the guy who's been struggling a bit this year, Los Angeles should have the horses to be able to move past Milwaukee and get back to the World Series. I like that Los Angeles-Boston matchup there. So we, we spent a lot of time talking about teams still active. Let's talk about the team that this podcast is named for. We'll got, we got Toronto Blue Jays talk coming at you right after this. Okay, so as we stated at the start of the show, Matt Schwarz published his list of projected arbitration salaries for 2019. The eighth year in a row that they've done it, they've been pretty accurate with their projections. So it's interesting to go through them and see where the Blue Jays fall on this and who's more likely to get what they're looking for. And we're going to cut this in half. There are 11 Blue Jays on there. Obviously, some more interesting names to look at. So we're going to bisect this a little bit. We're going to do six in this first half and then go five in the second half. We're going to go increasingly. So we'll start at the bottom of Schwarz's projections and then go up to the most expensive. So that starts us with everyone's favorite Rule 5 claimee, Joe Biagini, who is in his first arbitration year. Scheduled to make $1 million, according to Matt Schwartz. That, obviously, a bit of a bump up from the Major League minimum of 545 It's a very cheap price tag. 
a very cheap option at a time when bullpen arms fluctuate wildly, especially on the open market. And I think that's an easy yes for the Blue Jays. Biagini still has options, I believe. He, he's completed his third full season, so I, I have to double-check that just to see who's still on the radar to be sent to Buffalo with no problems. So I believe that that makes it so that Biagini is affordable. He's definitely going to be affordable enough to keep around for the Blue Jays. It's just a matter of if they believe he will find enough of that 2016 form. It looked like there were glimpses at times after he converted back to the bullpen fully last year, but he still finished with a six ERA on the season. A lot of garbage runs given up. About 14 home runs last year. Obviously something that needs to be dialed back a bit. He can't be giving up the kind of hits that he did last season because that really increased the damage that those long balls did. And when he was effective in 2016, he was going more full tilt than he was last season. He had 62 strikeouts in 67 and two-thirds innings in 2016. That fell to 53 and 72 innings this season. So for Biagini to get back to that kind of form, he's he's going to have to find that swing and miss stuff. And the move full-time to the bullpen will likely help in that regard. So he'll be able to focus more on just delivering those one, two innings worth of work as opposed to trying to keep it stretched out. It'll remain to be seen, but I, I suspect $1 million is a price tag the Blue Jays are willing to pay for another season of Joe Biagini around. Moving up, Brandon Drury is on the list at $1.4 million for him. That would be a raise for him. It, it would be his first non-Major League minimum season. That That's going to be a formality. Brandon Drury is going to get whatever he needs. It's actually... A slightly high, less bump up than we thought. He made 621000 last season. So that that's going to be a formality. They acquired him from the Yankees for a reason. Brandon Drury is going to get what he whatever they agree on with the arbitration. He's going to stick around. Uh, Ryan Tapera is actually pegged at $1.7 million. This is his first arbitration year. So this is the first chance he has to get off the ma- the major league minimum. And again, just the way he was used last year as that kind of eighth inning, seventh inning guy, I think that's a price tag that the Blue Jays are fine with paying. Tapera could probably ask for a little more, actually try and get up to $2 million. But the Blue Jays should have no problem matching whatever the arbitration set. Tapera's going to be fine. He's going to be kept around. Also at $1.7 million is Jake Petrica. And... Petrica, I've said before, I'm not sure if he's done enough to really stick with the Blue Jays, considering the 40-man roster crunch that they have. Petrica is a guy who was vulnerable. He he's just turned 30 this year. At times, he's looked great for this club. His ability to get ground balls is his calling card, and when he has his pitches working, when he has that that screwball action on his fastball he's almost unhittable the problem is he can't get to that point very often 
and it worked out to the tune of a 4.53 ERA last season. And his fielding independent pitching wasn't much better. It was at 4.45. So it was all coming off of hits for Petrica. And again, I don't know if he's done enough to earn that the same level of trust that Ryan Tapera has for this club. And that's easily some uh, arbitration ruling that the Blue Jays can walk away from making Petrica a free agent. I, I'm leaning that way. Obviously, there are, there are moves that the Blue Jays can make with their 40 men in regards to the relievers. Danny Barnes is walking a thin line right now. He could be in trouble. He could easily be DFA'd. Um, Jose Fernandez was roughed up late in his stint last season. He could be a target. Taylor Guerrero, they've seen what he can do at the major league level now. There, there are options to make space on the roster if the Blue Jays decide Jake Patrick has earned another run in Toronto, but this is one of the ones where I could see the Blue Jays easily walking away and giving him his free agent status just to try try and make a little more room for some of the younger pitchers who are coming up. Next on the docket is Devin Travis, the the fam, the favorite of fans and Jays from the Couch editor Sean Doyle pegged at 2.4 million Next year, this is Travis's second year of arbitration. He made $1.45 million last season. You can justify a raise for Travis just in the fact that he was able to play 100 games, which is nice. And if you factor in the games in Buffalo as well, that's like 120-some, which is a career high for him. He was better when he returned from that stint in New York. He, he got up to his double-digit home runs. He, ha- he had 11 of them. He had 44 RBIs. But the on-base was still bad overall. He only he only got a 275 on-base percentage, which, you know, that's been a problem with the Blue Jays just in general is not having guys able to get on-base consistently. And Travis, yeah, he was he was coming on a bit. Like, May, June, July was a great time for him, but he tailed off hard in August and then split time in September and was all right. But Travis is a vulnerable bat in that he only plays second base, and there are so many middle infield prospects coming up for the Blue Jays. Bo Bichette's, you know, knocking on the door. Lourdes Gurriel can play second base. Kevin Smith is earning a long look in the minor leagues. There, there are Logan Warmoth still down there. There are a lot of options for the Blue Jays to replace Devin Travis. So he could be in arbitration, but then easily traded. And that's not to say that none of these guys could be traded right now. Trade is still very much viable. The Nationals acquired Kevin or Kyle Barraclo from Miami earlier today. So the Blue Jays could look to move Travis before that. But yeah, I... I think they would renew it just because I don't think Bichette's there yet. I think next year this would be the year that they would look to move Devin Travis. Sorry, Sean, but that's how I see that. And then let's end. We are, we are running long on this. We got to go a little quicker. So let's end with Aaron Sanchez, who by not signing that deal a long time ago, kind of set him up for this. He's in the bottom half. 
He made 2.7 million last year. Matt Sh- Matt uh, Matt Schwartz has him. Sorry, Matt Schwartz. I should not be putting a ch in there. I apologize, Matt. 3.8 million from him. Given the injury plagued campaign that he had, that sounds about right. I I'd be happy to pay 3.8 million for Aaron Sanchez just for him to go out there and actually prove that he can be the kind of guy who actually commands a 15 million dollar salary. But yeah, four and six with a 489 was not going to get him any kind of money, and the durability issues are still there. So yeah, I I'm sure the Blue Jays are going to happily pay 3.8 for him. We'll have the remaining five Blue Jays members right after this break. Okay, we're back. Gonna gonna hammer these in because there are some interesting names here remaining on the list. We'll start with everyone's favorite outfielder, Randall Gritchuk. 4.8 million is the price that Matt Swartz has set for him. Big bump up from 2.8 million, and that's entirely justified. Gritchuk tied for the team league in home runs with 25. He what he showed after coming back from the DL that he was a completely different hitter. He is exactly the kind of hitter that the Blue Jays thought they were getting when they acquired him from St. Louis. I I would easily pay 4.8 million for for a full season of second half for Handel Grichuk. Like it it's just night and day the way it was when he when he came back fully healthy. And and that August as well, when a lot of the other Blue Jays were dipping, Grichuk stepped up and and was able to drive hits, was able to rack up those extra base hits at a rate that the Blue Jays needed in that offense and get on base as well. The, the biggest thing for the Blue Jays offense this year is going to be finding people who can get on base regularly. And Grichuk showed that he was able to do that very well. He was, he was helped by a 366 uh, BABIP in August, but... 4.8, lock him in as the right fielder next year. Happy to pay that price. Could potentially lock him in as, as a center fielder because Kevin Pilar's price tag is up next. He's at 5.3 million. And I've seen a lot of people kind of kind of iffy on giving Kevin Pilar that much money. He's going to be turning 30 next year. He, you have to wonder how how long he can maintain this reckless style of play in center field. We've seen a lot of misplays from him. I think Kevin Pilar is a good candidate to be moved. And if he gets that level of an award, a $5.3 million reward, he's another guy who the Blue Jays could easily walk away from and not really feel anything. So Pilar is going to be a name to watch there. I think that's going to be a bitter arbitration battle. And it could very easily end with Pilar moving at the end of the at the end of it, or even before that, if if the Blue Jays walk away from paying that that much money, which I think they will. I think they want to put Grichuk out there. I think they want if they can't move either Justin Smoke or Kendris Morales, they're going to have an outfield of Teoscar and Grichuk, and I think they want McKinney out there. So I think they put Grichuk in center field, and. Pilar would be the odd man out in that regard. And then Anthony Alford would get to be the fourth man and, and finally stick at the major league level, which he needs to do. He needs to get some time up there. That's, that's discussion for another episode, but three guys left. Two of them will be really quick. 
And Harris Salarte is scheduled to get $5.9 million. He has a $5.5 million club option. He is worth neither of those. So bye-bye, Yan Harris. I, the, the Blue Jays cannot justify keeping him around like that, especially the way he, he's behaved at times on the field. So Yan Harris Salarte is not getting that kind of money. He can go on the open market. Ken Giles, 100 miles Giles, is scheduled to be awarded $6.6 million. And again, that that's a good price tag for an elite closer. I mean, that's the kind of money Junichi Tozawa was getting on the free agent market. And Junichi Tozawa is not good at all. This is a decent bump up for Ken Giles. He made $4.6 million last year in his first year of arbitration. So he... You you can you can probably see the Blue Jays going a little lower, trying to get him at like six million, or or something like that. But they're they're not gonna really tiptoe around the price tag with Ken Giles. I think the Blue Jays need Ken Giles, and Ken Giles needs the Blue Jays. So I think those two sides are going to agree to terms very quickly. That could potentially be like a a pre-arbitration signing. So. I, I I don't think there's any chance that Ken Giles is not pitching for the Blue Jays next year. But that brings us to our final name, the one scheduled to make the most money in arbitration, and that is Marcus Stroman. In his second year, he he got six point five million last year. Matt Swartz says seven point two this season for the nominal ace of the Blue Jays. And he's not going to be happy with that. I'm I'm sure of it. I'm sure he he thought he'd be a little further along. He, he'd had a bet, better season, but you you can't justify any kind of price hike when when you go four and nine and have a five fifty four ERA. Now, granted, some of the defense behind Stroman was bad. His fielding independent pitching is actually pretty good. It's a three ninety one FIP on that. So he was burned a bit by his defense at times last year. But if he thinks he's getting slighted, getting $7.2 million in arbitration, he is, is grossly overestimating himself. He's got to go out there and show that he can get the kind of results. Defense are not behind him. He's got to go out there and, and be able to strike out batters again. He only struck out 77 batters in 102 and a third innings last season. That's just not going to cut it. At, and in this era of strikeout happy baseball, you have to be able to to deliver more stuff than that. So it's it's a modest raise for Stroman. Again, he's probably not going to be happy about it, but until he proves he can go out there consistently and be able to, you know, make batters miss and and be that ace, like this is this is what he's going to get for that. It, it's probably not going to help the relationship between the club and the player. But again, just the results on the field bear it out. Marcus Stroman did not do enough to deserve that kind of stratospheric arbitration raise. Which if you look at some of the other players in Matt Swartz's uh, write-up, Garrett Cole getting $13 million. Stroman's no Garrett Cole. Mike Fires getting 9.7 million. Mike Fires was far more effective than Marcus Stroman last year. Kevin Gossman also at 9 million. Mike 
Um, Kyle Hendricks getting 7.6. I would argue Hendricks was more valuable than Marcus Stroman. So that that is what it is. And if, if Stroman can't accept that, then there are problems. And it's just going to fuel those fires of, of trading more. So that is where the Blue Jays stand with arbitration in the eyes of one of the best arb prognosticators in the business. If you want to let me know what you thought about it as we wrap up this episode of Locked On Blue Jays, follow me on Twitter at NeoAC18. Follow the podcast at Locked On Jays. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check in and listen for Blue Jays content throughout the winter. So until our next episode together, for everyone here at the Locked On Podcast Network, I've been Ryan Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. And y'all take care.